Welcome to The Sugar Science. I'm Monica Wesley, the founder of The Sugar Science, and I have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Josh Nicholson, the founder of SITE, S-C-I-T-E. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about you know, your background and what brought you to develop SITE. Yeah, so I have a, a background in cell biology. I finished a PhD from Virginia Tech about five years ago, studying cancer to be very broad, but more specifically looking at how cells divide and, and uh, what happens with aneuploidy. Around five years ago, a lot of research came out looking at reproducibility of science. That is, if you take a study that's already published and try to repeat it, uh, can you come to the same conclusions? Um, is it reproducible? Uh, a large company uh, called Amgen, uh, as well as Bayer, both did this with various, uh, you know, cancer research and as well as other uh, areas of research and found that, you know, kind of an alarmingly high number, 89% from, from Amgen could not be reproduced. Uh, and so this got a lot of attention uh, within the scientific community and then, you know, is even covered in New York Times and Washington Post and things like this. Um, and I said, okay. <laughs> That's a problem. Uh, and yeah. so I wrote a paper about five years ago suggesting a potential solution to that based on my own experience as a researcher. Uh, and that idea has effectively become site. Um, and basically what it is, is, you know, instead of judging papers just by the, the quantity of citations that they receive, so it's highly cited, it must be good. Maybe we should start to look at the quality of those and, and really start to assess, you know, has this work that I'm looking at, has it been supported in the literature or has it been disputed in the literature? Yeah, I, I like the idea of quantity versus quality. Um, and, and, and maybe people slowing down to actually make sure that what they're citing really um, supports what they're doing, right? And publishing, I would say. I think there's a huge rush to publish kind of at all costs. There's this term salami slicing, which means, you know, cutting up your results into multiple papers so you can have a bunch of papers. Yeah. And I think that is because we incentivize researchers to be kind of impactful and flashy at all costs. And then once you have your paper, it's like a trophy. You just show snapshots of it when you give talks um, and you kind of don't want to do anything else with it. Um, and, and I think that kind of approach is, you know, at least one part of this very complex issue around reproducibility is you know, publishing right. at kind of all costs. And also your academic uh, career and uh, your march towards tenure is, um, you know, determined by your, your papers, um, the, pa the number you've published and the quantity, it's, it, what journals they're published in, et cetera. Yeah, very much so. I mean, there's, uh, <laughs> what is the ad monetary adage is publish or perish. And I think, um, yeah that is as real as it's, it's ever been still. Um, and I think, you know, to get into some of these highly selective journals, you need a very nice narrative, uh, flashy narrative. And, and that's sometimes antithetical to, to kind of what science is. Science can be messy and, you know, maybe not produce the best like kind of blockbuster result that you'd hope for, but, but that's valuable. Uh, and maybe it'd become, you know, uh, even more apparent later on if we started to publish these things. What about um, these new, um you know, companies, Altmetrics is one of them that comes to mind where they are actually tracking, um, you know, not just citations, but really what's being read. And can you comment on, on what's going on there? Yeah. So I think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion around like, how do we evaluate scientists? How do we evaluate scientific publications? Um, and citations have kind of been the infrastructure of that, but people have come up with different ways to look at them. There's relative citation ratios, there's field-weighted citation ratios, there's an H-index. 
Um, but they're all still based on the, the kind of assumption that, you know, having a citation is a good thing. Uh, Altmetrics, I would say, is, is a bit different from citations in that they're collecting social media attention. So, so right. the number of times your article has been shared on Twitter, Facebook, mentioned in Wikipedia or the news. And I think it's, it's interesting and valuable to have that um, and, and complement citations as well, because some of these things happen very quickly, right? Citations can take a while to accrue. Uh, but I don't think altmetrics, you know, was ever intended and it definitely isn't looking at kind of veracity or reliability. And I think that is something that we'll need ever increasingly as we have more and more publications each year. So it's continuously growing right. um, and we have it in new venues. So there's a lot of publications or preprints now being posted that don't have any peer review. Um, and, Which is and like it's, bio archives, right? Yeah, and it's extremely hard to kind of keep up with that. The one interesting thing I think about that is that, uh, you know, they're citing each other rel relatively like frequently and quickly. And so we have, you know, we're processing these preprints and you can see this preprint came out here and five days later, in some cases, it's supported by another preprint. Um, and so I think, you know, the way that I view us is like, here's a conversation happening amongst papers. Let's try to understand it. And then Altmetrics is here's a conversation happening in social media and, and kind of the popular media. Uh, let's try to understand it there. Yeah, that's a good clarification. And what about, um, you know, this whole, uh, the idea of negative data, the fact that <clears throat> a lot of people are, a lot of scientists sort of complain that, you know, negative, there's no place, there's no home for negative data. And so because of that, you can be repeating experiments that have already shown not to work. And, and what do you think about that? Yeah, so I mean, I think it's, it's, there's a huge value in quote unquote negative data, right? And, and I think it would be amazing if scientists publish their experiments that didn't work. I kind of understand why they don't though, because it is a huge like burden to publish things. It's not an easy process. It's slow. I think the average time from submission to publication is nine months, which is literally the average time it takes to create a human. Um, <laughs> and and you're not necessarily rewarded for it, right? Like the big journals are not gonna take this, you know, maybe you'll get into another journal, but it's, it's not something that's, that's that easy. Um, and so I think we need to find a way to kind of value and recognize these types of contributions so people that are doing that are rewarded. And maybe, you know, that could happen with site. Maybe if you publish a negative finding, someone else agrees with you because they also had a, the same negative finding. And, and that can really help save time you know, uh, opportunity cost and, and, and energy and money and ultimately. And so I think, I don't think we're like going to solve all of that, like with the snap of our fingers, but I think we need to kind of slowly move this very complex ecosystem towards like identifying and promoting reliability as opposed to just, you know, flashiness uh, or impact yeah. at all costs. Yeah, that's a really well said. I do, um, you know, that we are the whole industry or not we, but the industry of publishing is undergoing an evolution, you know, um, at one point, you know, they were the only way to get papers out there and they had a very, um, a very big profit margin, right? I mean, there was this whole saying like, oh, the scientist has to pay, um, you know, for, for, for the whole laboratory. And then they, they have to sort of like get in line and, and hopefully their paper will get accepted. And then they have to turn around and, and buy the journal to read their own paper. So, and the margins were very profitable for these um, publishing companies. And then sort of now, uh, then came along open source, this whole idea of open sourcing. And I mean, I guess my question is, 
and, and to allow everyone to have access to these journal uh, articles. But, you know, in terms of open source and the change in the, the way that public, uh, publishing is happening, how do you think site can, um, will be able to travel with that? So I think, you know, it will make our lives easier at site. So we need access to full text publications in order to, you know, create the, the tool that we've created because we have to parse out citation statements that you can only get from the, the actual text. Yeah. Uh, if it's open, it's easier for us to, to parse. Um, and I think that will be like the only kind of impact that has on us is access to articles easier without having to form a relationship and sign an indexing agreement with a publisher, which can take a while to form those things. And maybe some are reluctant to give you content that is not open. Um, with that said, I think publishers are, you know, they're not dumb. Uh, they're still going to have these huge profit margins, I think, even with this shift. And so we're seeing that now, whereas, you know, there's now if you want to make your your article open access in a Springer Nature journal, it's literally like $10,000 plus uh, to pay that. Uh, and I think people will pay that because, you know, these publications and journals are kind of like, they lead to tenure and promotion, they lead to grants and things like that. And so $10,000, if you're going to get a $500,000 grant is, is kind of worth, worth that investment, or if you're going to get tenure, things like this. Um, and so I think the business model of publishers is interesting to me, um, and I think it's it's in it is in a big flux um, with preprints, with funders, uh, all these different kind of stakeholders saying we want things to be open, um, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how these things work. And right now, like it, it it's great to have content open. Uh, you know, I, I I am no longer at university, so I can't reliably read anything. It drives me nuts. Um, but I think like you have to also think about how do we get there and, you know, kind of what are some of those other implications, like, you know, being able to pay $11,000 to publish in nature, not everyone can do that. I would say most, yeah. most can't. No, I mean, yeah. and it's, it's kind of, um, you know, it's a barrier to entry. And I, I guess the, I guess one of the biggest concerns is how do you maintain integrity um, in the published research um, while having open access, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, and I don't think there's, a I mean, a distinction in quality in terms of open access and, and not right. I think like that reflects more of the business model and the access, but there's some amazing, you know, open access uh, content that is reputable, like reproducible. Uh, and then the inverse is true. There's some really garbage, you know, subscription content and amazing content. And so I think it's, it's, it's hard to kind of just assess like the access issues relating to the quality. Of course, there are, you know, some players that you know, the more content they publish, the more money they get. Yeah. So there's some misaligned incentives. And I think ultimately, like, you know, the community needs some language of way to be able to say, like, is this reliable? Right. And I think the way we do yes. that now is, is it highly cited? Uh, and so I think we just want to add some nuance to that and say, OK, yes, it's highly cited and that's great. Um, and yes, it's highly supported or wait a minute, it's highly cited, but it's got three disputing citations and those are really hard to ignore. Um, and I think that's kind of, you know, the, the, the glasses, if you will, that we're bringing to, to people as a better way to kind of see scientific publications. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And strengthen their validity, I would also offer. Yeah. Um, can you walk us through um, a typical use case for site? I mean, how does someone use it? Yeah. So let me uh, share my screen. All righty. Oh, I think it's. There yeah. you go.
So the, the way that I like to show sight uh, is to show the world as it exists without sight and then to show it through the lens of sight. Perfect. Uh, so this is my PhD work, so there I am. Uh, I published it in eLife, an open access journal. Uh, I was looking at chromosome segregation defects in human cells, as I mentioned. Uh, did my PhD at Virginia Tech. We collaborated with the hospital in Portugal as well as a lab at the NIH. It's been cited 48 times and then viewed 8,239 times. And so this is what we all look at when we look at a publication. Where is it published? Is this a, you know, a prestigious journal that I know about? Who are the authors? Do I recognize them? Do they come from MIT or Harvard? Do they come from some other place I don't know? Um, and then how many times has it been cited or how many times has it been viewed, downloaded, or increasingly altmetrics, how many times it's been tweeted and shared in, in different social networks. Uh, and so what we want to really change is this right here, how this number is used. And so if you think about that, 48, that means there's 48 different papers, uh, reviews or studies that are directly mentioning my work. They're citing it. Right. Maybe some of them have built on top of it. Maybe some of them say this is complete nonsense and you shouldn't listen to Josh. Maybe some <laughs> of them say this is amazing. You don't know that unless you open up 48 studies and read them. And that is a massive amount of work that no one is doing, right? You're not gonna look at 48 different papers to read my work, let alone with access, right? You may not have access to 90% of those. True. And so I think most people use this as a proxy, high is good, low is bad, um, and then kind of move on. And to, to me, that's a really big missed opportunity uh, because there's a massive amount of directly relevant information by definition contained within those. And so how do we kind of unpack that information so that it can be used uh, by people that are interested in say, you know, cytokinesis failure or chromosome segregation or policy uh, or technology or really any type of research. Yeah. Um, and so we are, you know, changing that to, to make this something that people can digest with what we call smart citations. And so we built this browser extension for Chrome or Firefox or Edge which I think is the best way to, to use site because you can get it and then you can forget about us. And then whenever you're looking at a scientific article, our information will appear. And so it appears here showing our numbers, it appears here. It also, you know, even if you go down uh, to the reference section, I'll scroll down, you can see it appear next to each reference. And so really it started to appear everywhere. We made it a lot more powerful. It appears on Google, Google Scholar searches, PubMed, and I'll, I'll show a few more places there. And so this to me is like, you know, almost like Rotten Tomatoes, but kind of for scientific research. That's great. Um, a way to, you know, look at this and, and kind of understand at a glance, oh, do I want to check what those two say and, and maybe make sure that it's not like totally changing how I look at that argument uh, or what? And so if you click this uh, or if you click any of those badges, uh, it brings you over to site and you can see up top, we have basically the same metadata as the publisher, so the authors, the title, and the abstract. And then what we do differently from really kind of anywhere else is that we show what we call citation statements, these little excerpts of text. Uh, so you can see how is this article that I'm interested in being cited by subsequent research. Yeah, and so in this context. Case, exactly, citation context. And so in this case, we classify this as mentioning. And they're saying another possibility is that aneuploidy induced by loss of P38 may predispose cells to cytokinesis failure, a phenomenon described in trisomic DLD1 plus cells. Um, and then mentioning my work. And so you already understood, okay, here's what this paper says about Josh's work. Um, I don't even need to read it. Maybe I do want to open that up because it makes sense. And I was curious about P38. 
maybe you want to search these citation contexts and see, okay, is there anything related to yeast that's been mentioned in the literature? And you can see this citation context mentions yeast, so does this one. Um, and this is kind of a quick way to really understand how does the literature, you know, how has it received this, this work? So instead of how many times has something been cited, how has it been cited? We also have these yeah. deep learning classifications. So instead of just, you know, allowing you to read uh, 59 different citation statements and say, you kind of determine all of them, we, we provide some guidance to people to help them find and surface supporting citation statements or disputing citation statements. So generally this is trying to get to the question, has this paper been supported or has it been disputed uh, in the literature? And so if you select for that, you can see up top uh, a supporting citation statement, the confidence our deep learning model has in making that classification. So it's, it's really hard to do this uh, and we're never gonna be perfect. Um, and then you can read it, right? And so in this case, it says in agreement with previous work and then cites Nicholson et al. The trisomic clone showed similar aberrations, albeit to a lesser extent supplemental figure S2B. And so here's this paper uh, from Bagano et al uh, published in MBOC three years after my publication saying that they found similar uh, aberrations. Um, and so to me, that is really powerful, right? We haven't yes. read this paper. It's been like kind of five minutes and we're able to say, here's an independent paper saying that they support this. Yeah, um, this and is really that, excellent. They it's have excellent. to go through, yeah. They have to go through peer review. It's not just that like you can vote and say, this is nonsense, I hate this or whatever and kind of anonymously say it. Like that's a lot of work and evidence that goes into kind of being able to make this, this claim. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's important. And so that's generally like how, you know, that's the real kind of value of site is that you can understand and better assess the quality uh, of research. Um, and you can do that kind of anywhere you're looking. So beyond that, you know, we, we show where these citation statements come from. So this one appears in the discussion section. So you can limit these things down. Say you're uh, doing experiments at the bench and you wanted to see how 10 different papers, you know, did the same methods. This would be one way to kind of look at this. Uh, you can limit the citation snippets if you only want to include articles or if you want to also include preprints. We have a way to visualize these reports, um, which I think is you know, still kind of the first iteration of this, but this allows you to see this conversation going both ways. So here's my paper. Here's how I am citing Ganem et al. And so I'm disputing it um, or, or disputing a part of it, I should say. Here's me supporting this one uh, as well. Um, and you can scroll in and out um, and there should be one that's called, here's you know this one paper that's supporting me as well. You can choose to expand to mentioning sites, which seems to be broken because that's the second time that's happened. Um, you should generally be able to expand to mentioning sites and, and really kind of like the aim of this is to open up this conversation that papers are having amongst themselves. Yeah, I, I particularly like this, um the feature, uh, you know, this sort of idea that if you're at the bench and you're like, oh, what did they, what antibody did they use in this paper? You go back and it's not mentioned. Uh, and you're like, oh no, you know, how can I, you know, use the same one and when I'm repeating this and then you can actually see maybe the other papers that are associated with that paper use the same methodology. Now you can identify your materials that way. Yeah, it's so, just a, a nicer right. way to kind of digest a bunch of literature. Um, yeah, it is. It's a very simple way of saying it. And then, you know, as you know, citations don't just impact like individual articles, uh, but we already spoke a little bit about how they're used to measure journals and, and people and things like this. And so we've started to do some work there uh, where you can look at our journal dashboards and say you're interested in, you know, 
how has you know eLife uh, as a journal published articles? Do they receive more supporting citations, disputing citations? How does this relate to other uh, journals, et cetera, et cetera? And so we've created these journal dashboards that allow you to see our information at the journal level, which is here's the total number of articles, the citations, how they're broken down, uh, the number of retractions, corrections, things like this. Uh, and then what we call a site index. And the site index is uh, you know, really kind of basic to me. It, it is out of the number of testing sites are more supporting or, or, or more disputing. And so if you had you know, 100 sites that tested claims and 90 of them supported and 10 disputed, you'd have a site index of 0.9. Um, and this is, you know, you can see it if you go back, you can see how it relates to all journals, how it relates within the different field. Um, and the idea here is that, you know, this is not supposed to be just kind of be all end all for looking at journals, but it's to add to all these metrics that we already have, like the impact factor that looks at the impact or the number only of citations so that you can start to, again, look at kind of the quality of them. You can also then start to you know, scroll down and see what is the most supported site uh, or most supported paper, um, most disputed paper, things like this. And I think the idea here is that we want you know, journals doing good work to, to kind of be identified and rewarded and hopefully to, for them to almost like start to use this as, as marketing, right? Like yes. we care about veracity. And so we've now going to track that. Um, and here's, how, here's our track record uh, of that. Um, and so we're just getting started with that, uh, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, of interest to a lot of people. Um, relatedly, you know, we can also look at, you know, funders. So how is, you know, different funders, whether that's a, a private foundation or a government foundation, how is the work that they're funding paying a lot of money for? So the NIH pays, you know, $30 billion per year. Mm -hmm. uh, is that going to reliable work? Um, or is that being misspent? And I, I, I'm like, you know, it's a slippery slope to say misspent, but is that like uh, uh, funding things that are irreproducible um, or, or, or people? And, and the idea here is, you know, again, to kind of look at these different funders and see like how is the work that they've been funded and for funders to kind of start to use this as a tool to help peer reviewers better assess grants um, and to overall kind of, you know, again, shift the conversation a little bit from impact at all costs more towards towards veracity and things like that. This is phenomenal, Josh. How long uh, have you been, when did you start building this? Yeah, so the idea we published about five years ago, um, and it's funny because in that we like named all these companies and government agencies and said they should, they should create this, right? There's, there's a way you can classify citations, they should create this. Uh, and I think that's because we didn't think we could do it, right? Like it's like a citations, I don't know how to build a citation index, they're all locked up yeah. in there, it's extremely hard. Um, and so I've been kind of thinking about this at least since then. Um, and we've been working on it on the side where we would kind of manually try to create like what site is doing automatically. So we would yeah. look at a paper that we just know is good or bad and then read every paper that cites it and say, okay, can we tell that this paper supports it or disputes it as humans reading all of those? And if we can do that as humans, can we automate it? Right. Um, and so we were encouraged by the fact that we could do it as humans, but it was hugely laborious, right? It would be yeah. like days or weeks. And I was just like, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> um, and, and ultimately, you know, I think it was good that it took some time for us to kind of get into this because had we gone, you know, full edit like four or five years ago, I think we would have failed. So I think the timing of what we're doing is, is quite lucky uh, because the, the deep learning models and all this AI that you hear about is, is pretty readily available to use by a lot of different groups and, and researchers and companies. And that's what we're doing. 
Um, and so the site, you know, itself has been live uh, since June of 2018. It had different names. We've iterated. We've learned a lot of stuff. And really, for the last year, we spent most of our time, uh, you know, gaining access to publications. And so in order to, you know, do what we, we need to do, I, I mentioned that we need access to full text publications. So we work directly with publishers to gain access to content that's not open. Um, and then we, we've spent a lot of time as well as money uh, processing these full text articles to extract the citation statements that we can then, you know, analyze and create this, this tool. Yeah. Um, and I so see down below, these are your, well, these are your, you know, your sources here. Uh, but mm -hmm. then you've got your customers on the bottom, publishers, universities, researchers, R&D and funders. Yeah. And so as it just sort of like, just to talk about, so a young researcher, um, what, what, you know, can you just explore um, how, so, how somebody who's a postdoc could say, okay, you know, I'm going to get oriented to this yeah. and use it. Like where it, it, it seems like it has a lot of um, functionality and you could really get into it very deeply and, and, and look around, but how would you, what's the best way to start using this? Yeah, and so is I it think free to to postdocs or how does that work? It is largely free, and that's because we want it to be you know used by people. And so I think the best way to use it is to get our extension for Chrome or Firefox. Mm -hmm. That means you don't have to change your workflow at all, right? You don't have to come to site and search these things. That information will follow you kind of around. And I think that is you know the best way to kind of use it. And so here is you know I have the browser extension installed, obviously. Mm -hmm. And here is say you're looking up type one diabetes on PubMed, right? Some yeah. people use PubMed now for ten years, and they're never going to switch off that. And so how right. can we help those types of people? Yes. And so if you search type one diabetes, you'll see our badge next to each one. If you don't have our badge, you're not going to know that. And so you again, you're going to kind of just look at superficial measures. Where is this? Do I know the authors? I don't even think they show citations here, um, but with this, it really allows you to kind of take advantage of all this processing of articles that we've done to kind of better, you know, understand the literature. And that can be done, you know, kind of all over the place. Um, can you, you rank know, these articles on PubMed like for the, the highest citations, just like from that list? You can't because we don't have like a real integration with them. Uh, you can do that on our system. So if on you come system. to site and search, you know, type, one diabetes. We have, you know, this is a huge number, right? It, it's not meaningful to, to look at 1.4 million articles, but yeah. you can start to restrict these down. You can say, okay, there's a thousand articles that mention type one diabetes that have been retracted. Mm -hmm. um, say I'm just interested in articles. You can start to restrict that down even further. You could also start to look at citation filters. So say I want to see ones that have, you know, at least one supporting citation and no disputing citations. Mm -hmm. um, this brings it down quite a bit. Um, and say I'm interested in, you know, articles that are like pretty recent within the last couple of years. Uh, again, brings it down quite a bit to something that's more manageable. And you can sort over here by I want to see the most supported uh, and, and things like that. And so you can definitely come to site and search. Um, and I think it's a really powerful amount of filters that we can provide. But I think the browser extension is the easiest way to kind of get a feeling for site yeah. uh, because then you can search kind of everywhere. Um, and one thing that we're doing now uh, is, is, you know, say you, you narrow this down, you know, even further to, okay, I want to look at ones only that have, you know, 11 supporting sites to 35 results or something like that. Citations are something that change, right? You can get the supporting citation and disputing citation. You get more over time, generally. Uh, 
one thing that we've allowed, and I got to sign back in, uh, that we've allowed groups to do is to create kind of custom dashboards. And right now you can't do that easily from our own site, um, but we're, we're building that. And, and basically how it looks is that you can create this dashboard based on anything you're interested in. So any kind of search you do, whether that's on PubMed, Google Scholar, some other uh, service or within site soon. Mm-hmm. And you can name these things, you know, whatever you want, type one diabetes, uh, research, this is demo, and then you can simply copy and paste a list of DOIs uh, into this. So say, you know, you're back on, on PubMed. Um, let's say we want to do type one diabetes. And I am interested in like, let's see if uh, we want to sort by um, most recent. Actually, maybe that's not, let's, let's keep it the relevance. Best match. So say I'm interested in, in, you know, more information about this, right? This is a lot uh, of information. Again, it's like hard to kind of navigate. Yeah. So what you can do is save these results, uh, all results. You can save it to CSV um, and you can create this file and then it'll download over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that you'll soon be able to do directly within uh, a site. Um, but what you can do is once this downloads is basically take that list and copy it in here so that you can create this custom dashboard. So here, open up this spreadsheet and go over to find DOI. Um, and we can just kind of copy and paste that. If we put that in there and simply hit submit, It will take a little bit to process this, but we'll ultimately end up creating this custom dashboard um, that can be used for more specific searches for any kind of search that you want to create. And you can set a notification so that you get alerts when these things changed. And again, you can see, okay, out of those, which one was the most supported, which one was the most disputed, um, how have these things changed over time? Uh, And I think that is quite powerful to give this kind of flexibility because you know, we could create a type one diabetes research ourselves dashboard, but I think it's, it's better to allow the users to create these things and edit them and, and kind of make custom edits as, as they see fit. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And it's not static. Um, like you said, it's up, updating all the time. So, I mean, it will tell you when it updates right up there. Yeah. So and another cool. thing that we allow, which is related to that is, so if you're using a reference manager like Zotero or Mendeley, um, you know, to cite things as you write in Word, uh, you can sync your library. So say you have a library of everything that you've kind of ever read and it's it's like a thousand documents, you can upload that through Zotero and Mendeley to create this custom dashboard. Yeah. And you can even, you know, do that within Zotero itself. So here's this plugin that we have. So this is, you know, a, a pretty popular reference manager. Here's some references that I've used. Yep. And here's our information there. And you can organize that. And so this is a really powerful way to kind of cite with an S before you cite with, with a C uh, in a paper to make sure, you know, what you're, what you're writing is reliable. Well said. Yeah, no, point. this is really, really um, powerful. And you can see how it has room for growth too. So it's really exciting. Um, and I just love that it, uh, you know, it just really, it seems to, you know, kind of sweep out the clutter um, and expedite both your writing and research process when you're starting to write grants, papers. It's really a great tool. Yeah, thank you. And I would say, you know, just to kind of 
couch that is like, it is really great, right? It's not perfect though. And I don't think it ever will be perfect. And so a few things that we allow uh, is, you know, say you come to this and you're, you're looking and this says supporting, you read it and you say, oh, it doesn't sound like supporting. Uh, we allow users to flag these sites that are, are potential misclassifications and say, hey, this should actually be disputing or mentioning. And then they can give their rationale. And if the user's right, and that's reviewed by two independent experts, we will then change it to expert classified. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because again, like it's, it's very difficult to do this. Researchers don't always write, I support this paper, I dispute this paper. There's a lot of nuance within the scientific publication. True. Um, and I think this gives flexibility to people to kind of improve the system um, and clarify it. And, and, and that's important, especially because a lot of researchers, when they first find out about site, go search themselves. Um, and, you know, if we're saying it's disputing and it's not actually, that, that could be problematic. Yeah. Well, and then if you get a number, you know, maybe more than an N of three that are saying that, okay, this is actually, you know, not or, or not, not as it says here, and you've got that mm-hmm. expert classification, it's another layer of, uh, you know, uh, valid validity, really. Yeah. Yep. This has really been um, so interesting. And um, I really, I, you know, I'm going to encourage our, our, um, our interns to use this as well. Um, yeah. And the, the other thing I would encourage, you know, listeners too, is that, you know, despite us kind of thinking about this and working on this for years, like we're still quite early. And so we welcome, you know, feedback from people on things that are, are unclear and ways to improve it um, and, and, you know, different integrations that could be made. So if you have kind of suggestions or, or thoughts or questions, like, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. There's this little help bubble that you can uh, say anything you want in there and we will respond. Um, and, and yeah, the idea is, is ultimately to kind of make science more reliable and, and that, you know, uh, in order to do that, we need to, to make sure we're helping people in their individual day-to-day work just as much as we are trying to change this overall ecosystem. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very admirable quest. And I would want to say, I, I guess, lastly, um, do, uh, the top research institutions have this, um, you know, have they purchased site or, I mean, is this something that students have to, or postdocs, uh, have to purchase on their own? How's, yeah, so, how's that going? So it's, they don't have it. Um, and I think that is, uh, I mean, we wish they did. Uh, so it, right now you can use it where you'll see five of these full reports per month for free. Um, and you get a free month when you sign up for everything. Um, and so we want it to be largely useful uh, or, and free and open. If you're really using it day to day and reading tons of papers, then you know, this is also how we monetize to build a sustainable business. Ideally, we wouldn't be charging an individual student or a postdoc. We give significant discounts to both those groups as well, but we'd be working with universities directly. Um, and you know, candidly, we just have only now started kind of talking to some of those. So we're in pilots with you know, one in, in Sweden um, other ones know about us, but but they're cash strapped as well, right? Especially now with, with the pandemic going on. And so I think, you know, it's we're focused mostly on working with academic publishers uh, as, as well as, you know, with, with, with groups that are not cash strapped, like uh, private R&D pharmaceutical companies and things like that. Um, and one thing that I didn't show, which I think is, is still useful and can also help with writing uh, and is really kind of how we integrate with uh, and, and charge publishers is this reference check. And so we have introduced something called a reference check that allows you to upload a document. Uh, it can be an unpublished document uh, that you're working on, or it could be a published paper uh, as well. 
um, and then to process that using kind of our machinery for this individual document. And so if you go to choose file, I think I should have one somewhere. Here is this, here's this paper that was published in, in uh, 2020, uh, Frontiers in Psychology. Uh, so it was published in, in November of, of last year. What we're doing here is using our, you know, automatic, so let's, let's open it. So here's, Here's this paper. Um, and so this paper was Frontier Psychology, as I mentioned, published uh, November 24th, 2020. Um, and what our tool is doing uh, and what we intend to do with this tool is to integrate this system into submission systems for journals uh, or to allow individuals to use it so that they can check if the references in this manuscript. So this is a bit different from what I just showed. If the yeah. references they're using are reliable. So are they citing something that is highly disputed uh, or are they citing something that's even retracted? And so in this case, uh, these authors, so this is their citation statement. So these are from the paper. They are referencing Stoppel and Blanton in 2004 saying second, life satisfaction can be influenced by objective social context through a more unconscious path with little conscious attention or monitoring and referencing this. If anyone's kind of like involved in scientific publishing or literature, you may recognize his name, Diedrich Stoppel, because he, you know, got caught for a lot of fraudulent studies and had to retract a bunch of work, uh, very high, uh, yeah, high profile work. And so this work was published in 2004, was retracted seven years ago in 2013 or, you know, eight years ago now, um, and is still being cited in 2020 as, as reliable. And so that's a problem because people are building their arguments, referring to these things based on very problematic studies. Um, and we want to stop that kind of spread. Um, and beyond that, you know, when it's not as clear cut as like you're citing something that's, that's retracted, you know, maybe this disputing citation is something that would change how you refer to it. Or maybe you wouldn't cite it at all, right? This one says the results contradict the findings of Schwartz and Hartford. Um, and so this extra information is very useful to, I think during the writing and review stage, and we kind of want to expose that there. And so we're, we've started to, to expose this reference check into the submission system so that when you submit to a journal, um, there will now start to be a reference check that's run in the background and you can come over and see a report like this and you being the author, editor, uh, and ultimately peer reviewer. And the idea there is like, you know, references are kind of like the foundation of the paper. We wanna make sure that foundation's, you know, stable so that you're not building arguments on, on things that are, are entirely uh, unreliable. Yeah, and you, you could see how this would also be very helpful in the grant submission process, right? Yeah, and, and I think, um, yes, I, I think the, the utility is there across a lot of different things. There are some limitations, like we can't process, you know, posters uh, very well, just because the tool mm -hmm. has been trained to uh, identify and extract information from scientific papers. Yeah. It does work on grants because they look somewhat like a scientific paper, uh, mm -hmm. although I would say, you know, less like the ideal use case is... is uh, an essay or, or, or uh, a peer reviewed publication that you're, you're hoping to submit. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times though, um, you know, you can show if a grant comes in and it's very strong, it's built on strong science, right? Then, and it's, it's proposing strong science built on the back of, of stuff that's already been done, work that's already been done. Yeah. That, that could raise its uh, score. I mean, I mean, it could be, I mean, it's very, this could be very useful in many different, um, 
I guess, scientific avenues. That's, I guess, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah. And I, I think our strategy there is like, we want to stay focused on what we're doing, which is, you know, our differentiation is the citation context and the classifications. And that's, that's challenging enough as it is. Uh, and so we don't want to try to recreate everyone's workflow and every single tool out there. Uh, and so we've started to integrate with a lot of different tools uh, via our badge. And so we have this badge, which is freely available, um, and you can embed this in your personal website, in your product, really kind of anywhere a scientific article is linked. And it's pretty simple, right? It's these three lines of code. You can even customize it. Say you want to show you know, this horizontally, it'll appear horizontally. Say you'd like to include type labels, you can do that. Um, and again, it's just basically adding this to your website. Uh, for that to automatically appear. And, and I think that, you know, allows this information to kind of be spread everywhere um, so that you could see it being very valuable. And one place, you know, where it's not, but maybe will be one day, but our, our badge still works, would be Wikipedia, right? A lot of people get their information from Wikipedia and, and, and you know, there's that whole saying citation, citation needed. Okay, well, is the citation right, right? Yeah, um, and yes. I, I think, you know, we've had a hard time partnering with Wikipedia because we are a for-profit company, uh, but our extension works there. And you can see that, you know, here's one that has a disputing citation um, and this will appear next to, to all those references. And I think, you know, that's important for, for people beyond scientists as well, because a lot of people get their information from Wikipedia and that can have very profound effects, right? Yes. Uh, as to how you behave, how you raise your family, how you treat someone, uh, all these different things. Yeah, no, that's great. It's uh, it, it's qualify, it's quantifying um, and qualifying in in some respects. You know the information that's out there that interfaces with the general public. Yeah. So that's great. Um, I guess I would ask you: Do you have any words of encouragement for young scientists who are you know are just starting their postdoc or their laboratory during the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, for, for starting a lab, like, I, I think it's exceedingly hard. One of my best friends who I lived with, uh, you know, in, in, throughout undergrad, he's starting a lab now in San Diego. Um, and I think it's an amazing position that he's in, but it's also a very scary one, right? Uh, it's hard to, to stay focused with everything going on in the world. Uh, you know, it's hard to even just fly home or fly anywhere, right? Let alone kind of start an entire new enterprise. And so my, my hope is that, you know, kind of the world is a bit understanding of that. And I think, you know, research and, and work for, for me, you know, has been a nice solace, like escape from some of this. Like we feel like we're, we're helping. I think the world all kind of recognizes the value of science right now. Um, and so I think that's, it's a nice time to start these things. And I think, you know, ultimately, hopefully like we learn from them uh, and they use our tool and, and kind of things like this. From even, you know, maybe kind of younger scientists I think, I think there's like an opportunity at, at some point to always do something different. And so I, you know, now I'm doing something different from what I was trained throughout my, my PhD. But I think a lot of the things that I learned in the PhD are directly relevant to, to that is, you know, communicating ideas, giving talks, uh, synthesizing complex things into less complex things. Um, and, and, and I, 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 you know, I hope that there's, there's more of that. And, and I think, you know, hopefully, we can also start to reward people that are maybe not playing kind of the game that that science can be right now, uh, but we start to reward people uh, for for doing good work. Um, and so my grandpa actually, who was a scientist, had this saying uh, that he wished science was for the surprises, not the prizes. Uh, and oh, I, think that's, I love that's, that. Yeah, that's, I think that's very true because I think 
you start off very idealistic. You're going to cure this thing. You're going to understand this and you slowly get, you know, selected and, and kind of crushed into like, I need to publish in nature at all costs, right? And publishing at nature at all costs as, as, you know, that's pretty far from the surprise and, and kind of this, this delight uh, that, that brought most of us into science. Um, I love so. that. I loved, I love what you said there. And I would also say, I would add that um, sort of being in lockdown and maybe not able to get to the bench, perfect time for scientists to actually do some writing, write some papers, write some reviews and use site to do so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and read. I mean, I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And read and read and read and read. Thank you so much, Josh, for joining us. I really enjoyed talking to you and we wish you all the best um, going forward with site. Awesome. Thanks so much for the time and for the invitation. <laughs>